Father, we ask as we gather around your word this afternoon that you'd be with us, speak to us, um, help us to grow into everything that you have for us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to read. Would it be all right if we just maybe put that down? Just to, thanks. Um, I'm going to read the whole of 1 Peter because I want us to get the context of what we're talking about. I'm going to speak from a few verses on one issue, but I think it's important to get the whole context. Uh, so let's read from, I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1 into the first few verses of chapter 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such a great line. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, it's an amazing line that, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you, do not, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. I love that line, rejoice with joy. Isn't that just feels like a, what's the word, a tautology when you, the same thing. Yeah, oxymoron, maybe that's the right word, better English than me. Um, Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And just so you know, from verse 3 to verse 12 is one sentence in the Greek. It's amazing, eh? It's just like God going and couldn't stop. And therefore, in the light of this great salvation, preparing your minds for action means girding up the loins of your mind and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the, to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Another long sentence in the Greek. Having purified your souls, this is what we're going to be talking on today. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of, gra like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but of the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's a beautiful bit of scripture. I don't know about you, but every time I read it, when I just read, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's like, wow. So let's remind us, as a community, we are endeavoring under the leadership of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to live as disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles. That's what we want to do. We want to live as disciples of Jesus. Whatever that takes, how do we grow into becoming those kind of people? Um, and... As we, we started this letter and Brian did so well, and he's not here today, he's not well. Um, he, 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 he introduced this whole letter to us and, and reminded us this letter has immense importance to us today as Christians living, to, living in our world right now in the city. It's written to exiles. And actually today, so, Christian sociologists and that will say that the church is a people in exile. We are no, this is not our home. You know, we been born again to a new home. It's not our home, but actually the church has moved from the center to the margins and we are no longer as accepted as we used to be. We had a restaurant today and the guy had been there many times. He liked me and then he found out I was a, a pastor and his eyes just went, it's like, oh, you know, it's like before, like, oh, that's so cool. Today it's like, oh, we've moved to the margins. We are people in exile. It's hard to be a Christian today. Especially if you live in the city, it's really hard to be a Christian. So this letter has some things to say to us. The thing that it starts with is this majestic salvation. And I think that sometimes we just forget our salvation. I think we forget the majesty of what Jesus has done for us. And what he's wrought in us through his blood. I said this a few weeks away. This great salvation displays mercy and grace and love. It dispenses hope and new birth it defeats the power of sin and death and it destines an eternal inheritance it's a great gospel it's a great salvation and then we spoke about hope and holiness and we can go listen to those talks i won't go there but really important things hope for the future and the way that we're meant to live till we get there and then last week we remind we were reminding of what the salvation cost jesus that this redemption came through the precious shed blood of Jesus. That was the price that was paid. And what it takes for us to participate fully is, in, is sometimes or often embracing the new family lineage of God and having to say no to some of the, the old family lineage of the human life. 
that sometimes hinders what God wants to do. And we, we have to figure that out as we go along. This week, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is kind of the third command that Peter gives in this opening salvo, this opening section of the book. He says, you've got to learn to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And I think it's important in this to see that our covenant relationship with God is not an individual matter. We're going to have to say that a lot in, in, the, in the decades and centuries that lie ahead. Our world is becoming more and more individualistic. But our covenant relationship with God is not an individual matter. To be chosen by God and to be set apart by the Spirit for the purpose of participating with God in what He's doing means that we come into relationship with others who have also received the same call into that space. So we have to participate with others. The Christian life cannot be lived authentically in isolation. Just cannot. You can survive for a bit. You can pretend for a bit. But actually to thrive, to grow, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in maturity takes other people. Because if you're only by yourself, how will you know that you are patient? I mean, I get impatient just with me. But how will we know that, that those things happen because we interact with other people? Other believers that are in our midst. And together, iron sharpening iron, we grow up together to become this majestic body of Jesus that displays his glory to the earth. And sadly, that doesn't happen a whole bunch of the time. And I want to touch on that in a moment. So right now, Peter, from here, he's shifting the, the focus from our right relationship with God to, which is about having a hope and being holy as he is holy. And now he's shifting it to how do we relate to one another and live it out in Christian community. Um, and so I think it's important for us to kind of work it out. Do the work of discovering and understanding what does it mean to practice the love of Jesus in community. In the context that we are reading right now, we're not primarily talking about loving the world which we have to do. We know that, do we? What he's talking about here is learning to love one another in the community of faith, in this covenant people, so that we truly grow into what God wants, become the kind of people that God was intending us to become, so that we shine forth into our world. Um, Peter has in view neither a warm, fuzzy feeling nor friendships around a coffee pot after the meeting. That's not what he's got in mind here. Even though that's included, but that's, primar that's not primarily what he's thinking about. Rather, he's thinking about how uh, our righteous relationships with each other are rooted and based in God's character. The love that we're supposed to have for one another needs to be rooted in God's character. So if we are to be holy like he is holy, the way that we relate to one another needs to flow out of that sense of holiness. If because of the resurrection, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain and we set that hope for the future because the resurrection gives us a down payment of this promise of what's coming through the Holy Spirit, then we should relate to, up, to each other with a sense of hope that what God has promised will come about. 
and that the person that irritates you most in the church will change, as will you. And mostly it will be you. And then they all look different. So if each one sees that from their perspective, then great things will happen. Rather than it's their fault, it's your fault. The word love, you know, what's the Greek word for love being used? Anyone know? Agape. It's not a soppy love. It's not the coffee pot love. You know, it's not fuzzy, feel warm about love. It's, the, it's, it's a matter of will and action. I choose, I will, decision to do you good. And you do the same to do me good. I look for opportunities to do you good. Now, that applies to our neighbors as well, but we're looking per, right at, this, at the church at the moment. And it says we should do this earnestly. The word love itself, this word agape is an earnest word. But he adds another word. You would do this, rejoice with joy. You know, like that? It's kind of weird. Rejoice with joy. No. Love earnestly, which means intently, and with purpose and fervently. That's how we're meant to love one another. I'll tell you the, a big reason in a moment. How? From a pure heart. What does that mean? We're not doing this for what I can get out of you. What you can do for me. I'm doing it because... I want to live like Jesus. I want to reflect Jesus and Jesus loves. Jesus loved to the point of death. We'll come to some of those verses in a moment. Um, when we choose to love like this, we set ourselves apart from the ways of the world. You know, there's a love that happens, you know, I think when you, like, in, in, like if you take the military scene and, you know, someone throws a hand grenade and you are so committed, you dive on the hand grenade and take it for the, the platoon and you die, whatever. That, that, that's a kind of love. And, and we never want to diminish that love. That's amazing. But the love that's talking here is this everyday love. Because sometimes, and I say this very, very respectfully, if you can, please hear this, okay? It's just, I'm trying to make a comparison. I think sometimes it's easier to fall on a hand grenade in our world than to release person, a person from an offense. We hold on to those things like crazy. I think God wants us to teach us some things, you know? Um, this righteous behavior towards one another is this word love, this agape word. Um, I think Peter as do Paul, I think, as do all the apostles as they write, are saying this is not just about a mental understanding of the gospel. This is not just about, I've got the doctrine, yeah. It's about that being translated into a way of living that transforms us in the way that we relate to one another. Now, if you've been around for a long time in the church, or been around a while, you know that we've been through rough times as a community as it applies to interpersonal relationships. This church. Isn't that right? Nancy, you've been there the longest. Oh, Teela's been the longest, so she's seen a lot. You've been around. We were talking about you, how you taught the girls to roller, scope, roller blade in our first house in 19, beginning of 1999. You've seen a lot. You know, there's been a lot of fractured relationships. The trouble is not only our church. It's every church. But we talk about our church because it applies to us. We've seen these things, and I think God wants to bring transformation. And I think this transformation of how we love one another and treat one another is a central purpose of 
of Christ's redemption. And I'll, we'll go to some verses in a moment. I mean, Peter, if you look in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter goes on and says, so you've got to put away things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That's not about the way we treat the world or the person at the office. That's how we're supposed to not do in the church. So in that church in exile, these people coming together, they'd come from all over the place, so there were all sorts of cultures that had come together. There was malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. I want to tell you that that's been in our church over the 20 years. Has it not, Nancy? It has. We've got to deal with it. It's actually not the way of Jesus. Sadly, I'm, I'm a culprit. I'm part of it. Sorry? No, not you. <laughs> Just it's terrible. He says this. You've been born again, in verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. What's he saying in that, in that little text? He's saying this new birth that we've received, the spiritual life that we've received is rooted. Hello, Don. Happy birthday for the other day. This new birth is rooted in the imperishable seed, which is the word of God. This is not like the flowers of the field. They kind of grow up and then they kind of get scattered and burned and, dry and whatever. And that comes from Isaiah 40. If you want to go read the whole text, it's a beautiful text. I won't read it today, but Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1. Read that. This little bit. All the flesh is grass. All that is, comes from that text. Um. And he's saying there's two seeds at work here. There's the seed of human procreation. It produces a life. And that life gets, we go older and we die. And then there's imperishable seed, a life that comes by the Spirit, the new birth from above, that comes in, changes us to an eternal life. And if we want to live in this way of loving one another earnestly from a pure heart, we have to tap into that life, not this life. So the, the process of transformation of us becoming followers of Jesus and then growing, sanctifying, maturing, whatever, to become the kind of people that we want is learning through the Spirit and the leadership of Jesus to move from the living from the imperishable, I mean, from the perishable seed in life to the imperishable seed of life so that we begin to trust that the eternity that has been promised, that word of God resonates more in the way that we act than our past. Does that make sense? We, somehow we have to get that. Now, we, there's something that happens the day you receive Christ or you receive new birth, you're born again, regenerated, converted, whatever term you want to use. There's something majestic that happens on that day. But now we have to work that salvation out with fear and trembling. You have to every day Apply that to your life. Otherwise, the old life just wants to take over. You, I, I love to look at, like, uh, in film where they, you know, there was a city and then it goes to ruin and you just watch the jungle go. Take it over. My backyard. Don't have to go to the jungle. My backyard. If we gardeners don't come within six weeks, that ivy has got the blue flowers on. What's it? Morning glory, it's everywhere. It's going up the poles, across the electric lines. It's choking everything. And if I just let that grow, soon the Airbnb home would just be covered. 
and then it would sneak across to the main house and in a short time it would just be a jungle so to fight for that which we have established we have to do gardening we have to do work it costs money to have the gardeners come in and do it or it costs me energy if i'm going to do it it's easier to pay the gardeners if you don't work at sustaining the new life that God has put inside of you, the old life just takes over. And soon you don't look anything like that which Jesus wants you to look like. Because it's just you just get overgrown. And then you've got to take axes and chainsaws and dynamite and whatever to blow that away, to, to renew what's there. Um... Let's begin to trust on the spiritual energy that comes from this new life in the Holy Spirit to actually live the life that Jesus wants us to do. I mean, we're not even talking about speaking to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. We're not talking about loving the enemy or loving the neighbor across the road. And you know, a week and a half ago, I had the worst kind of interaction fight with one of my neighbors. It was terrible. He accused me of something and the devil rose up in me. Not the devil, me. My sin just rose up. And I had to apologize. I had to write a letter of apology. Because I just, I was so mad. You know? What else should I expect? Now God's trying to teach me something. And I failed miserably. So I'm not standing here saying, oh, I've got this together. We've got to learn to love one another. Um, in the church. Let's read some texts, just so I can show you. I'll read from John, because John loves this, and we'll go to 1 John, we'll look at Galatians. I'm going to read from John chapter 13. I want you to listen to these. These are the words of Jesus, all right? John 13, verses 14 to 15. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong, John 13, sorry. If... I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. No? What's the context? It's before the Last Supper and he's washing the disciples' feet. He's showing them what, what service as a disciple looks like. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So it's not this, oh, I love Aaron. Aaron, I really love you. No, Aaron, I love you. I'll, I'll get down. I'll wash your feet. Whatever it takes, I will help you to become the kind of person that Jesus wants you to become. And will you help me to become that? I don't want Aaron to feel when he leaves here, oh, Terry just loves me. Oh, so good. No, I want him to feel, no, Terry loves me that he will help me to become the kind of person that Jesus wants me to become. And that there's unity. Jump to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you backbite one another. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then please, this verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Kind of, that's a weird verse. It's actually one of the most powerful statements to the world that Jesus is alive and that we are his people. It said, 
is the way that we treat one another in the church and between the churches. That, how many people don't want to be interested in the church, but they look and say, the church is just fractured. There are five million denominations. What are you, you guys haven't got your act together. Never mind that. In your own church, you guys are just fighting. What? what, what? It's an astounding verse. Chapter 15, verse, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend on the grenade. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from our Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I'm not going to read this. A whole bunch in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4. It's all about love one another. And that word is always agape. Decision, will, choosing to act on good toward you. And one of my favorite little texts in the Bible is Galatians 5, starting verse 22, which is the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine fruit of the Spirit. They go together. You can't pick and choose. I like the joy, but let's keep the love out of it. No, one of them is love, agape. You see, a, a person rooted in imperishable seed, growing in life under the Spirit and the leadership of Jesus, begins to grow fruit. And one, one part of that fruit is love, agape love, patience, all those things. You can't choose. Can I say that? You cannot choose to be patient. You can pretend for a little bit. I've tried, believe me. Not on more than one occasion. You but actually, patience is a fruit. I love what Dallas Willard says about the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices. You've got to do the things that you have control over that lead to change in the areas that you have no control over. So if you do this, if you spend time with Jesus, trusting Jesus, one of the things you'll notice, you'll become more peaceful. Because it's a fruit. Today I'm going to be peaceful. Oh, I failed. Let me try again. Oh, I failed. No, I'm going to sit and be with Jesus. I'm going to meditate on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Whatever. Suddenly you find, oh, I'm becoming peaceful. Why? Because I'm, I'm taking control of an area that I can, and the areas that I have no control of are beginning to change. Do you remember uh, the beginning of the year, we, we did a talk on the one another's. Do you remember that? All the one another's in the Bible. There are hundreds of them. It's a good study. So what does this love look like in real-time daily practice? Because if we can make it ethereal, what does it look like? I wrote a few things. You can think of more. We, it, it means that we learn to be patient with one another and not carry offense. I wrote yet, we need to tap into our grace reservoirs. You know, if, if you've done me good, Tyler's my immediate neighbor. 
and he's done me good. And then one day he says something, and if I just, I'm bombing it, that's improportionate to the grace that's been sown in the relationship. Surely there's a place where I could take out of the grace banks and give him the benefit of the doubt. He's having a bad day. You know, he was bitten by my dog or something. You know what I'm saying? We got, to, we got to be able to draw out of the grace banks. But we take offense so quickly. And we, the reason we take offense so quickly is that we are insecure. And we are insecure because we do not know who we are in Jesus. If in the world, you should be ex- expect people to be upset with you all the time, actually. Because who you are flies in the face of who most of them want to be. But at least in here, let's, let's figure it out. I want to be patient. I, want to, I don't want to hold an offense, but it's so hard. And if you do happen to pick up that offense, won't you forgive quickly? As quick as you can and reconcile? I tried to reconcile with my neighbor, the one that I had the fight with. But he hasn't responded to me. He wouldn't answer the door. I wrote him a note. He hasn't responded. I've done what I can. I'm going to keep trying. But there comes a time I have to just say, okay, I'll release you, but I'm not mad with you anymore. But I've tried to reconcile. I want to do that. We need to look for opportunity to do that in the church. What does it look like? It looks like serving and sacrifice with our time and with our resources and with our abilities. We're looking for opportunities to do someone good. And sometimes to do someone good and to love them the way that Jesus wants us to love them will take some time from us. Or it will take some of our money or our, something from the grocery cab- cabinet. Or it will take a skill that I have to help someone. That's actually learning to love. It's not just, oh, I love you so much. Give me a hug and a slap on the back. No, it's actually sometimes it's going to cost. It's earnestly, it's intently. I think it, I think if we can start thinking community more than I, me, mine, and myself, which we so often do. You know, there's a shrine. I, me, mine, myself. And we worship at that shrine on a lot. But I think God wants to change our way of thinking to say, no, who I am as an individual is totally linked to who we are as a people. And who we are as a people is totally linked to the body of Christ with Jesus at the head. And by remain as this individualistic person, not thinking that the action that I take can affect others, we actually will never see the church become the thing that Jesus intended. It takes the serving and sacrifice and thinking through others and looking for opportunities. And One of the things that I've loved and I've learned over the last number of years, and I know Aaron has joined in that, is EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It has helped me so greatly. It's helped you? It's been amazing. However, there's, there's a weakness through it. And the weakness is this is that you can become so overly concerned with your health that you forget that you also have to live with others and serve and sometimes sacrifice. And Does that make sense? And get out of your comfort zone. No, this is not the opportunity to serve today. No, I'm dealing with myself. It's my time. That we miss out on those opportunities to actually sacrifice. Now, we've been, you can be in the part where the church I grew up, everybody was sacrificed all the time. We never did any work on ourselves. We have to be careful we don't switch the other way. Now we just work on ourselves. 
But we ever, never, ever sacrifice and serve others when it's hard. It's not called service and sacrifice if it's easy. It's only when it's hard. So I want to say this, and I want to say it in two ways. We need to create margins. Does anyone know what that means? We've spoken before. We need to have margins in our life. Most people live with no margins. There's no time for anything because your day is full. And we have to create margins where it gives time. We have time for us. Some people are so busy, they don't even have time for themselves. But we have to create margins in our life so that we have time for others. If we're going to be the body of Christ, loving one another, caring, doing people good, loving your neighbor, we have to create margins. And there's a word that helps you create margins. Does anyone know what that word is? Would anyone like to guess? Yes. No. No. The scripture says the grace of God teaches us to say no. Sometimes we have to say no. When someone comes to you in desperate need, that's not the time to say no. That's the time to say yes. It might be you have to say to your son at that moment, no. We are part of the body. There's a need. Let's go do it together, son or daughter or whatever, wife, husband. Because think about it like this. Justin has a great need. Something's happened and we say, we need help. And everyone says, I'm so, so, so busy, got no margin, can't do it. But think about it, if that was you, would you like someone to turn up and come and help you? Yeah, so we have to create margin or sometimes we just have to stop something and say, we were doing this, we're not going to do it for a moment and for the sake of something bigger. And I'm not telling you what you must do and how you must do it. I'm just asking you to think through that, create margin in your life. I think one of the little fears that I have, if I might say this, and I'm going to offend all the parents, so please forgive me right now and do not hold an offense. This is an opportunity for you to love me. I believe that we are raising our kids to be selfish because we're not creating margins to teach them what it means to love and serve and go the extra mile and say, no, you can't have that toy. Let's take the money and give it to that poor person or this or that or whatever. Our lives will get so structured that we don't create margin, or we're not prepared to break into the structure. Now, I, please do not hear me saying you should have no structure. That's not what I'm saying. We need structure. You can't survive otherwise. But cr- allow yourself margin, and if you're trying to figure that margin, you might just have to every now and then say, no, we can't do that. Sorry. Just for the sake of what God wants to do. That's where we've got to see the hope, the bigger picture. Does that make sense? Can I move on? As a people in exile... We cannot afford to not love one another. Because no one else is going to love us. We can't afford not to. We have to. C.S. Lewis said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell isn't that scary if we're going to love 
If, you're gonna, if we're going to choose to love one another as the way Jesus wants, it's going to cost, it's going to hurt, there's going to be pain, all those things. But we're asking God to help us. We need to do everything in our power with the Holy Spirit to stop internal strife and, fric and friction. If you can, read Ephesians 4, 1-6. to Talking about the unity of the body as we grow up. It's beautiful. When we don't love one another as Jesus wanted, we lessen the power of the gospel. We read that in John. How can we love our neighbor or our enemy if we can't love one another the way that God wants us to love one another? Does anyone know Epictetus is? Anyone done their Greek studies? Stoics, philosophers? Epictetus, he was a Stoic philosopher in the first century. He said this, this is our predicament. Over and over again, we lose sight of what is important and what isn't. Isn't that true? 2,000 years ago, I said that. And applies today. Let's read those verses again from Mr. Eugene Peterson. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old life came from mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. That's why the prophet said the old life is a grass life, a grass life. It's beauty as short-lived as wildflowers. Grass dries up, flowers droop. God's word goes on and on forever. This is the word that conceived the new life in you. So, clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice and pretense and envy and hurtful talk. You've had the taste of God. Is that all right? What's the, what have we spoken about today? Love one another. Okay, so I would love you to take a moment, break into little groups, five minutes before we break bread. Can you do that? And just turn around. I know these are uncomfortable. And I want you to, I'm going to give you three questions to think about, ask. If you, if you feel uncomfortable sharing them, please don't. If you feel happy to share them, fantastic. Question one, where is I getting in the way of us? All right? Look at some practical things. Number two, have previous hurts hindered real community living and loving? Number three, how would you go about setting margins in your life for the sake of others? Can I read those again? Where is I getting in the way of us? Have previous hurts hindered real community living and loving? And how would you go about setting margins in your life for the sake of others?